Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Alone's Geek Podcast. What's up? Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Keyforge, a new-ish game from Fantasy Flight Games. I actually thought that we had done an episode already about this, but... I guess not. Like I think we acknowledged that Keyforge was a thing and vaguely talked about it on our like trading card game balance, something like that. But we never like did a dedicated discussion about the game. Yes. Well, and I also thought that we had sat down and like played a game through. Which oh, yeah, no, obviously no. not. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, I think we meant to, but we just never got yeah. around to it. The downside of making plans at the the rate and uh, as far ahead as I do is that sometimes I think that a thing has already been done because I planned it and thought out how it was going to happen. See, I do that in the <laughs> short term, but that's mostly because of the ADHD. Or <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh... I totally told you about this. No, you didn't. Maybe I just meant to tell you about it. <laughs> so, um... For those that are not aware, Keyforge is a unique card game made by Fantasy Flight Games, designed by Richard Garfield, the creator of uh, Magic the Gathering. And it is, to some extent, magic wherein Richard Garfield gets to make you use all the cards. (laughs) Um, There's no deck building. You just purchase a fully constructed deck and you can't modify it. And each deck is constructed by an algorithm. You know, there's some uh, some interesting names there. <laughs> you don't say. J. Malcolm, the factory pencil pusher. <laughs> you have two Mars Logo Sanctum decks. Yeah. Because there's also a questionable Crumpet Vrom. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing is those names are also generated by the algorithm that built the deck and the what words go into the name is based on the card effects that are in the deck okay that uses cards from three of the seven factions within the game see it's 36 cards per deck exactly 12 cards from each faction um in varying numbers of copies i don't know that there is necessarily a maximum because that would just be Part of the algorithm, not yeah, something they bother to tell us. Yeah, um, the maximum is the number of times the algorithm puts the card in the deck. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the decks do get checked to some degree. I don't know uh, how much by a human before they're actually printed, but um, the algorithm, due to the number of cards in the set, the algorithm can make something like a trillion different uh, decks. I forget the exact number. It was like hundreds of billions at least, I think. (laughs) Because there's... So many cards. Yeah, hundreds. I think there's something like 400 cards or something in the first set. I mean, not even talking about the cards themselves, just the number of factions. Because it's three factions per deck, uh, no repetition of the... So I'm too tired right now to actually do the math. Yes. that's, That's something like... 50 different, I think it's like 50 different combinations, just a faction. Actually, probably more than that because it's not two paired factions. It's not two pairs, it's three pairs. Yeah, it's three sets that are, it's a set of three that are unique. So yeah, I'll do the math later at some point and add in and splice in here where it is. <laughs> but 
But uh, yes, there there's X number of different combinations of faction, but also because there's only 12 cards from the faction used, you can get two decks that are the same combination of factions and that share few, if any, cards. cards. Yeah. So that's a hell of a thing. <laughs> I mean, there's... From what I was looking at on the card numbers, there's upwards of 50 to 100 cards per faction. Yeah, I... I forget just how many there are per faction. I know they said at one point, uh, I want to say it was 45 or something of each, something like that. But it makes her really, and especially when you account when you're looking at the algorithm itself, the cards can be repeated. So whereas with the factions, you know, once you've picked a faction, it's only going into the, it's 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 out of the pool for this set of three for the cards I could have two, three X copies of a card, so that twelve isn't guaranteed to be twelve different cards. It it, it could be yeah, it know, might be two of this one, two of this one, and then one each of these three. Or... Yeah, uh, most of the decks I've looked at, it seems like there's about six different cards, uh, usually around two copies of each. You know, some singles, some triples. Yeah, but it makes for a really I, I, I imagine the tournament scene for this is incredibly frustrating. <laughs> I have no idea. I have not gotten to participate in any kind of organized play for this yet. Um, though there is a guy in Dallas that runs Keyforge events at uh, Common Ground Games. I take it back. It would be incredibly fun for players like me. Yes. It would be incredibly frustrating for some of our friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that me and uh, Karsten were talking about, or something that, a conclusion that we reached when we were talking about this the better part of a year ago once, was that it's a game that probably appeals to either the very casual player or to the extremely competitive player. Because... and. The, the kind of middle ground players probably aren't going to like it quite so much. You can't optimize your deck. You can't optimize, you can't but like... You can your strategy yeah. based on a meta. Yeah. Your most competitive players tend to just take whatever the top performing thing currently is and try to tweak it very slightly, if at all, and then play it to its best effect. And playing the deck that has already been built to its best effect, is what Keyforge does. Yeah. That's the only way to win <laughs> yeah. in Keyforge is to just get the most out of what you happen to have uh, since you can't change. And the fact, the, and, and, and that fact means it comes down to pure skill. Yes. Skill, strategy, and luck. It, well, it, the in-game skill. Yeah, yeah. Because there is, I would say, a skill to constructing a good deck but that's been taken out of this. Yeah. And so it's just the part that I like of a of any given card game trying to do the best with what you have. Yeah. And of course for the casual player, you don't have the stress of having to build a good competitive deck because it's already built for you. Um you can just play and have fun. Yeah. And, and not feel like you're getting stomped by the hyper-competitive players who spent $500 on their deck. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 10 bucks gets you a deck, and if you were going to Etsy to get some tokens, 
maybe $20 for like a nice set of tokens. Um, or if you split a starter set with somebody, then, you know, 20 bucks. Siphoning some of my play money next to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, our uh, not-so-great local game store has one. Or keeps a keeps a display of um, the just decks. the single decks. Might be worth checking out. Yeah, it's it's a good price point uh, for entry into any sort of card game because while the starter set for the Call of the Archons set of cards, the first set that came out, is forty dollars, I think you get two decks that are in every starter set. Uh, so that you can kind of learn to play the game. <laughs> uh, you know, a little instruction pamphlet. It's not really a book. <laughs> it's one big sheet of paper. A uh, set of tokens uh, for two players. And then two actual unique decks. So you get quite a bit out of that starter set. But I forget where I was going with this. I completely blanked suddenly. Um, yeah, really good... Price, price. <laughs> um, and you know you don't you're not going to build up a huge library of cards that you're never going to use because <laughs> they're all index already and they can't be moved around. <laughs> and for those of you out there who are wondering the same thing that I wondered when I first heard about this game, how do you know that the people you're playing against are not uh, cheating and like you know moving cards around and all of that stuff? Well, they print the decks unique, which means that each deck has a unique back. Yep. The uh, the little Archon image on the back is unique. Um, that's why they're all kind of abstract shapes yeah. <laughs> on it. Uh, and they have a unique name that's generated by the algorithm that built the deck based on the cards and card effects that are in the deck. So the name, on some level, is appropriate for how it plays. <laughs> Borrow Impala, the Farmer Miller. <laughs> yes, uh, the Farmer Miller deck um, has it, it has Dis as one of the factions, which is the more demonic kind of uh, black in Magic: The Gathering uh, sort of play style, and a lot of its stuff discards cards. Nice, just discards your opponent's cards. Hence Miller. But then I think a lot of the other things are. I think there's several Gather things resources. that are sort of. I think there's a, a decent resource gathering, but then most of the stuff that doesn't do either milling or gathering is stuff that needs some support from other cards. So it sort of grows itself slowly. That's cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, the turn structure. It's nice and simple. Once you get the hang of it. Yeah, it's a little unintuitive to untap everything or... Not untap, because... To ready. Yes. The, to, the, the, the generic term. <laughs> yes, the, the not legally owned by one particular company term. Uh, to ready everything at the very end of your turn, and then draw after that. Yeah. Uh, typically, your draw step is at the beginning. Usually, at least one of those steps is at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> one, uh, if not both. Yeah, so it's it's... Got some unintuitive parts, but uh, a lot of fun, I think, because you can learn to play it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's also nice that they know. always have explanations of keywords, so you don't have to have a lexicon off to the side that's... Yeah, uh, Fantasy Flight tends to do that. Um, 
the when they have keyword abilities, the first set of cards that has those abilities, they print the description of how it works. Yeah. But subsequent sets that have those abilities will just have the single you know keyword printed without the mm. description on the assumption that you're kind of following along, and so by now you've learned. Yeah. Um. So like the the next set that comes out probably won't have the descriptions of elusive or skirmish or um i don't remember any others taunt yeah that was one um do you know if they're going to add new factions with the new set or is it just going to be new cards i don't think they are adding any factions i think it's just a whole new set of cards that's cool um and you know there there is one thing that i forget if it was andrew garfield or one of the ffg employees at gen con uh, talked about when they were announcing this game and there, there there's something that this gives you that no other game can give you more than once or twice and that is uh thinking back to the the first let's say card game like this that you ever got probably magic uh, when you initially when you were brand new to the game and you built a deck and there was a certain sort of satisfaction in the idea that this was your deck of cards and that you had built it this way and that it was distinct. And then very rapidly you lose that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this game inherently keeps that. Every deck you have is unique. unique. And even though it will share some cards with a lot of other decks in the world, no other deck anywhere has exactly that combination of things. And so it won't play exactly the same way, which is kind of nice. It's a it's a weird sort of, I guess, nostalgia preservation. Yeah. Or the uh, novelty of this is my deck and there's no other deck like it. Yes. There's also a sense of pride in when you make your first deck and you win with it. Yes. And you know, you've, you've, I figured out how this deck works and ah, ha ha And you're going to get that every single time with this because not only are you going up against, well, not only are you going up against an unfamiliar opponent, you're going up against a completely unfamiliar deck. Yes. And the only clues you have to how that deck functions are the three factions in it, which you do know what the three factions are because you can see them on the back of the other guy's card. Yep. So you have a vague idea of what their mechanics are. And but other than that, I mean, that's the equivalent of saying, you know, I play a black deck in Magic. Oh, great! I, I have a general idea about what strategies you prefer. <laughs> I have no idea how you're going to implement them because I can't guess what cards you have, and I can't plan my strategy around that because I don't know what there. There is no meta. That, yeah. That that's I'm. <laughs> Brain, gone, explode. Yes, there's no... A game with no meta. You are never going to sit down at, say, a tournament and encounter the same thing two rounds in a row. You might run into the same combination of, say, two cards, but it's everything is distinct. And uh, I really like it. I like that sense of adventure. That's the word I was looking for before. Yes. It's got a sense of adventure about it that never goes away. Uh, and I was really skeptical of the concept of the game when they announced it at Gen Con in 2018. I don't know if that's 
doable. I don't know if that's something that anybody really wants or would enjoy, but they gave us two free decks <laughs> and said, hey, there's a there's a, a PDF of, you know, how to play on the website now. So, like, all you got to do is cook up some tokens to use because it was months before the game actually released for sale. Okay. Uh, so they... Everybody that went to that little uh, um, conference, or whatever you would call it, uh, on the Wednesday of Gen Con got introduced to the game. <laughs> as long as you stayed to the end, because that was the last announcement. <laughs> so the one thing I'm wondering about the new set, just because I can't help but wonder about the future. Yeah. It's just part of my brain. Yeah. Uh, do you think the new set is going to exclusively be cards from the new set? Or do you think it's going to mix cards from the old set in with the new? Uh, I'm not sure. I think they mentioned something about that. I think they have answered that question in their announcement about it. I just don't remember what it was. Because on the one hand, (laughs) coming out with the new set and only making decks from the new set means that the new cards get a lot more attention. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if they mix cards from the two sets that drastically increases the number of unique decks they can make yes so there's an upside to both ways yeah well and for all i know maybe the algorithm combines the two sets but biases it towards the new one yeah. even puts a little bit more weight on the new set that yeah. makes sense. i don't know i'll have to go back and check the article but uh, of course another thing that uh I think has come up in conversation several times is this is also a great one for a uh, sealed deck sort of tournament. Oh, I love sealed deck. Because <laughs> you just pay your 10 bucks, get a new deck. And start shuffling. Open it up at the table and see what happens. <laughs> um, I've also, there's another suggested sort of tournament structure that they've put out. They put out uh, several different uh, suggested ways of doing tournaments for Keyforge just because it's so weird. Um, and one of them was a bring three decks and you, I think at the beginning of the round, your opponent gets to see, you know, basically the card backs to see what factions are in each deck. And they get to pick one that you're not allowed to use for the turn for that round. And then you pick between your others. Oh, I know there was some other, um, structure that involved there was some sort of bidding thing where you wind up starting with like where you get you like open up a bunch of decks for the event and the players or maybe it's you know like open up two decks at when the round starts and all you get to see is like the deck list maybe and then the players like bid on who gets to use which deck and you start with a different number of what you're bidding is chains how many chains you're going to start with at the beginning of the t- of the game, and whoever you know wins the auction gets to take their pick of the deck. Now we didn't get to see how chains worked <clears throat> in the starter game because they didn't have any cards from the. Yeah, so in the starter deck, they give you this somewhat handy little tracker here, and so there will be some card effects. That'll say, you know, do this and gain one chain or gain three chains. And so on this little tracker here, um, which maybe I'll think to actually take a picture of and put in the show notes, um, it tracks 
how many chains you've gained. And so like say something makes you gain three chains. Well, over here on the right side, it says minus one card. And so what it is, is every time you would draw cards, which typically is just that end step, but if you have logos, you have a whole lot of things that let you draw cards. Right. Well, every time you draw a, every time you draw cards, in this case, it shows you at one to six chains. Every time you would draw a card, you draw one fewer cards, and then you lose one chain until you get back down to zero. So if you wind up at like ten chains, you're going to have to draw cards 10 times <laughs> to get your draw strength back but it's going to be when you're at 10 chains you'll draw two fewer cards so you'll need to like get three cards out of your hand just to get one back at the end of the round yeah and then drop down to nine chains and so that that is one of the balancing effects that the or mechanics but really the only one uh, that i've seen so far for the decks that perform better They've done. They finished up their first round of organized play where they tracked performance of decks because they have an app, okay. too. And you can log, you can scan in the little QR code on the deck list okay. card, and it tells the app what cards you have and what the name of the deck is and everything. Right. And then you can log wins and losses with it when you play games. And so through that... I think <laughs> they collected the performance data on, you know, all of these uh, games that have happened in the last year, roughly. And there there have been some decks that performed way better than others consistently. And so um, there's a few that start with more chains. And that's been their balancing thing is like, oh, this deck has consistently performed above average. And so it starts with two chains or three chains, or I think there's one now that starts with four chains and because it's ask, just too powerful. <laughs> I was going to ask, well, how do you know which decks get the chains? And I'm like, they're the decks that get scanned in and have their win-loss record yep. logged so the person doesn't have an excuse to not know because they logged it. <laughs> yes, and I would assume that maybe the app actually tells you that you start with chains. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I haven't really used the app for anything other than scanning the QR codes and putting the decks into it because I haven't done anything competitive and uh, really haven't hardly played the game at all. But yes, that's what chains do. They cut down your draw strength. And then just some cards have effects that give you chains when you play them. Yep. And then some decks get a chain handicap. Yes. And that is one of their suggested ways for, like, for casual play. Like, if I'm bringing a deck that I've played a bunch, and I know it really well, and I know that it, you know, maybe maybe it's just a deck that I've played a bunch, yeah. and you're using a brand new deck. Well, for casual play, maybe I ought to just start with, like, two or three chains, just to give you a chance to figure out how your deck works. Yeah. I can, I can definitely see that being a fair... For casual play. Yes. And then... For, for competitive play, we should both be starting fresh. Yeah. Yeah, well, those decks that they tracked, yeah. like those in competitive play, they are starting with that number of chains because they know that they are they have some above average magic combination of cards that if you get them, probably gonna win, <laughs> no matter what. So, 
I can also see why the starter decks, in addition to not being uh, legal because they're not unique, yeah. But also, I could see why they're not legal just from power level. Because mm. I don't know about. I saw some potential in the deck I was playing with, uh, mm. but I know that when I was playing against yours, just the sheer amount of theft that you had in the deck. Yes. The sheer amount of, no, you don't get any ever. No, you don't get any ever. No, you don't get any ever. <laughs> What's that? You can forge a key? No, you can't. <laughs> And it kept me locked down for so much of the game. Yeah, like uh, you, 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 you were two thirds of the way to winning when I got one third of the way to winning. Yeah, and I had already, I think, once gotten enough amber that I could have forged another key, unless you played exactly a certain combination of cards, which you then had to do. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I feel like that those decks seemed like they've played pretty much on par with the other decks that I have actually played games with. But Shadows is a difficult faction to work against just because they have very little other than we're just going to take all your amber. Um, like Sanctum works against that somewhat because they capture it onto other cards. But yeah, it seems like if you don't have any way to steal or uh, capture amber back from someone that has Shadows in their deck, you probably just have to try to get a bunch of creatures of the same faction in play and reap really often. (laughs) Which I wish I had reaped more in retrospect. Yeah, but you rarely managed to get more than like two creatures of the same faction in play at a time. mm. Except for that last bit at the end. Yes, the the scorched earth. (laughs) Just that point where I realized I can't win, so I'm gonna drop everything on the board and just get a nice bloody nose just, in before I go. Just kill as many creatures as possible. Yeah. Now, one thing that does still worry me about Keyforge is the setting. That they've put out a few little short stories and stuff that kind of show off the different factions, but other than that. There's nothing that fleshes out the world. Which is really a shame, because just looking at the visuals, this would be, one, really funny, but yes. also really cool. Like, it, 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 it's got that, like, Terry Pratchett feel, where it's, we're going to tell a serious story, but you're going to laugh while we do it. Yes, there is some wackiness, but also potential for some really interesting, like, character-driven stuff. And so I think, I think they need... To put out something else to give you a feeling for the world. And that's something that we've seen consistently across a lot of different games is putting story into it. Putting something that people can get invested in keeps the game fresh. Yes. And, and like, 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 like that's why magic has gone as long as it has. That's why Warhammer's gone as long as it has. That's why War Machine Hordes have gone as long as they have. Is there's a story there that you can brush up yes. on, you can learn about. And in some cases, participate in. Yeah. Like Legend of the Five Rings, um, even back when AEG owned it, the players affect the development of the story, and uh, Fantasy Flight has continued that. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, like we said, like I said earlier when we were talking, I think that's part of what's wrong with the Rune Wars miniatures game is that there's not really an ongoing story for anyone to get attached to. Yeah. There's some story in the board game, but 
the minis game doesn't interact with it at all. They've got backstory on all of their um, heroes, but there's not anything going on that you know makes the world seem bigger than just the game that you're playing at the moment. Yeah, that's why the uh, D&D minis game turn out very well. I think. <laughs> Which is really weird. <laughs> well, because while D&D has a story... It has the story that you make. Yeah. Like, like the Forgotten Realms has some stories that have been written, but your D&D game rarely interacts with those stories. Yeah. You know, unless somebody's just like read all of the Sunderings, like, I'm going to run a campaign that everything that happened in the Sundering is going to happen in my campaign. Well, unless everybody else in the campaign's read the books, nobody cares. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with the, and I don't even mean the attack wing minis game i mean the one where you would buy a box that had like 12 minis in it and they were like it was an actual like yeah that thing where you had like a board that joined up to your opponent's board that came with their set yeah Yeah. and that game while had the potential to be a really cool game there was no story behind it it was just we're going to take stuff out of the monster manual and you can fight the stuff out of the monster manual against other stuff out of the monster manual but it's just like if I wanted to fight the stuff in the monster manual, I would just play D and D. Yeah. So, I don't know, I'm hoping maybe they'll put out a uh, a setting book for Genesis at least in the Keyforge world, just to give the, give the player base who are interested in the world something else to you invest know, in, digest. Yeah. But overall, pretty good. Oh yeah, I like it, and. Uh, one of the reasons why I would really love to see story come out for this is because that does seem to be a consistent thing that keeps games going, and I would like to see this keep going. Yes. Because I like the concept of this, and I want more of it. Yeah. And also, uh, I'm a big fan of the fact that you can spend $10 and grab a handful of beads or pocket change and be able to play the game. Yes. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. That's so nice. The, the, the $10 for a deck. One fully completed deck. No no time spent building decks. No time digging through cards, trying to figure out the best synergies and combinations. Spend 10 bucks, learn what you have, play it. If you don't like it, spend 10 bucks, learn what you have, play it. Get a new one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is one thing that struck me a bit oddly, and that's in their um, tournament regulations. If you sleeve your cards, the sleeve backs have to be opaque. Which makes sense in all other games where they actually have like promo cards that look different yeah. on the backs or on the, the edges. But the decks have unique backs and you can't swap anything out. So why can you not use clear sleeves? Now that being said, <laughs> that being said, you could it could also have the point of you have to provide your deck list. Yeah. So if you put your deck list down and I get the feeling that you're pulling something shady, I can look at your deck list and go, that card's not in your deck. Yes. Well, and there's another way to recognize what is and isn't supposed to be in the deck, and that's on the the front side. It oh, actually yeah, has the Archon's name at the bottom, but it's very easy to spot if your opponent has a handful of cards and you can see the unique backs. If one of them doesn't match... <laughs> it's kind of a dead but, giveaway. But... Uh, that's a you know, that's a part of all their other tournament regulations for their card games. So I think it, for competitive players at a, at organized play, 
fine. It makes yeah. sense. <laughs> it's just a little bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> and this is something that would be fun to have like as a party game almost, where it's a, you know, hey, I've got like four gamer friends coming over and we don't have anything to do, so I'm going to spend 40 bucks, I'm going to get four decks, and we're just going to blind open these and have a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> and also, this is a game that I feel like can actually do what Magic was created to do and just be a thing that you can play in between events at like a convention yeah yeah because a game is fairly short like ours took and yeah maybe 45 at most and that was with me vaguely remembering how to play the game and you having to learn no idea the game <laughs> so these can go pretty fast i think which is nice um I think we've really said everything we can say without repeating ourselves. Yeah, and I think we've repeated ourselves a couple times, too. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you in a month. Have a good one. Stop. <laughs> Mother.